This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I am Nathan. I am Bob. (laughs) So today we are here to represent, we are here to review, we are here to discuss Gilded Cage, a supplement for the game we all know and love, Vampire the Masquerade. And uh, Bob, what would you say this book is? Uh, This book is absolutely a how-to in dealing with everything based on kindred controlling the mortal masses. It's that simple. Right. It's, I don't care what facet you're in, this book is immediately, like, we can do the ending now. (laughs) You you need the book if you have no idea how to cultivate, influence, work mortals, use your backgrounds. If you have no idea how those things work, you need the book. So we... If you think you know how they work, but somehow it just gets frustrating every time you talk to your storyteller, get your storyteller the book. Right. You know, it's <laughs> uh, no, absolutely. Get 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 that book because um, we we've spoken before, probably a little shorter in this podcast than we have on our Nerd Words podcast. But we've talked about our experience with LARP, and LARP kind of breaks down influence differently than tabletop does, right? Yep. Tabletop influences it's a spectrum of one to five, and it just it's just called influence, right? In at least the classic um, uh, Mind's Eye Theater, its influence is broken down into like subcategories. Like right? levels of those subcategories. Right. And those subcategories are things like finance, uh, industry, church, bureaucracy. Like these are all sort of descriptors that indicate like what area of influence you have. So this book gives the tabletop world a better description of what influence is, how it works and how you are influencing morals. And you used a, a term earlier. That term is control. Right. That I, I think that, um, a lot of people that play this game, especially if they're newer to the game, they're not really sure where they're jumping in on the version of vampire, the masquerade and some of the older versions, it seemed very much like we as vampires overtly control mortals and areas of mortal expertise it's not true right it's not true at all when when did they like is it is that always been true no No. they used to back in the dark ages Mm -hmm. even even early on the formations like all the way up to the we'll say the industrial age right right that control was possible because if you control the guy on top the guy on top controls everyone else and you're really not getting him right with the right defense protections whatever however with the explosive populace of mortals. Right. The dawning of the modern era. It became obvious to, to the kindred world that it's great that you think you can own a CEO. Right. You know, and you can. You can blood bond a CEO. You right. can get him to do what you want. You can own own the owner of the business. You can control the owner of the business, but the owner of the business might not control anything anymore. Because what happens when that CEO starts making crazy decisions and the stocks plummet? They oust him. Right. The board gets rid of him. Right. Now you have nothing. Right. And so... It's influence right. is, is the term. And for a lot of people, this is this is groundbreaking. This right. is gonna you're rocked already. And the fact is, is that because you're used to mechanic thinking. Like I for one am opposed to mechanical thinking. Right. That you read in a book, it says my rating of influence one through five, I have a five, I control right. the known world. I should do this because I have this and I should be able to get this. Now you have to understand what you're saying. 
you believe that without you putting any effort into why you have that influence at five, that right. the storytellers beholden to do exactly what you say because you have a five. Right. Well, the storyteller has no idea how you have that five because you never worked out how you have that influence. <laughs> because you don't have any idea how you have that influence either. So basically, you're asking them to do that much exponential work right. just to make you you work. And honestly, that's missing the point. That's exhaustive. That's that's doing a half-assed job. This book highlights that opinion, and I adore it for that. Right. It tells you that just because you take the backgrounds doesn't mean you're done. Right. You now have to define those backgrounds to give your storyteller something to work with, and it also highlights the concept of the character you built. Right. Well, and, and I think that, that a very important aspect of this game, of Vampire the Masquerade in general, and any real role-playing game, or TV show, or comic book, <laughs> or book, or movie, is character growth and development, right? Yep. You have to remember, you're not playing a quest game here, right? You are in charge of how your character is going to grow. How do you amass power? How do you develop for eternity? This book is going to tell you how, you know, they talk about in here that, you know, what we just said, you could go for the CEO. That's really not going to get you anything long, long term. But what about the maintenance crew? What about the secretary? <laughs> what about these other people who have an in and an out and are easier to manipulate because they have more to gain and they have less to lose and they have more need. Right, right, right. They're gonna have more of a need of you. Right. What does the CEO need you for finance and power? Not a fucking bit. Not at all. Like maybe old age. Right. Maybe you'll get them at that, but not not at all. However, right. an administrative assistant to a CEO right. probably could use a little extra ends. Yeah, because a know? lot of us are probably administrative assistants, or <laughs> exactly. or uh, you know, we're 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 doing some mopping or sweeping of our own. And think of it from that perspective. Like, I I work at a place, and I'm a relatively low level individual. However, I do have access to a vast variety of of very important things, and, and very people. right and people that you mr vampire you could not have access to right and you going in and trying to intimidate the manager of the of the shop or you trying to intimidate the owner of the the company they're going to tell you to piss up a rope you know they're going to tell you to go kick rocks because they don't need what you're shilling the low level folks we do we need it right maybe my mom is sick maybe my my very young child has an illness and an influx of cash for, you know, a little bit of assistance every month would certainly help me out. Right, for sure. Right. So it talks about these ideas that are maybe not so inherent to some of the players who are coming in and aren't used to playing what, what they call a political game, right? I've always felt that this game, Vampire the Masquerade, is a political game. If, if you're not playing politics, if you're not climbing social ladders, if you're not making connections and define, it all defines you. Right. Um, in a way, look at the vampiric creature as being far more than the fundamentals, right? which is your disciplines, physical abilities, and a tragic background, and you now an immortal. It also encompasses who you impact. Right. And being immortal, how many people do you think you're going to know if you live forever? Right. And, and who you hang out with defines who you are. You know, it's that simple. But over time, you change, yeah. right? Those, those holds change. Those things grow. Those things lessen. You lose things. That all is still part of your tale. Right. And when you're just like, whatever, it's just a stat that ups and downs, and I only use it to get an up on my enemy, you can play that way. Right. That that isn't the game we're talking about, though. Right. Whatever that is, you're only getting a taste of it. Right. 
and it's going to lead to frustration. This book shows why it would lead to frustration. One of my favorite points in here is when it outlines the Sabbat. You want to know why the Sabbat is fundamentally cutting off its nose to spite its face? It's how they treat mortals. Right. And they don't see them as the power base they are. It actually highlights how the Sabbat can't win. <laughs> right, you can't right. win. And, and how there is a subculture within the Sabbat who are like, oh, shit, we've totally been screwing ourselves out of this resource. Right. We better on the down low start getting in. And, you know, we've, we've played a ton of Sabbat games, right? And how many Sabbat games have we played where our pack didn't have two cents to rub together and we were thwarted by like we can't afford taxi fare right yes, you know like exactly like this, these sort of things like you 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 can only play that sect for so long before you realize that the resources are what's necessary to fight a war and if you don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of awesome you're an immortal <laughs> you you got a broke down van and you think that that's a worthwhile haven. Let's talk brass tacks. You're mm-hmm. talking about growth and right. keeping a haven. That's that's defensive, right? right? What about offensive? But we're soldiers of Cain. We do mass embraces. We get out there. You can't embrace more than the populace. Right. You can't do it. Right. What that means is you embrace 10 people, 20 people in a night that gets around in the era of smartphones right. and cameras and traffic lights. What you're doing is you're inviting all that the military can bring to you eventually or whoever it's going to take. Right. You don't know how many it's going to take, but you know how much they can throw at you. Right. Absolutely. And that's the inevitability. They highlight the fact that an antediluvian woke up and got smoked and, and it was by man. Right. <laughs> you need to know that. It's fantastic. All these Dharmic, awesome, kindred of the East ancients and a Methuselah or two and some other badass elders got up there, but it's right. antediluvian. Human technology. They were losing that fight. Right. Uh, the bombs took care of the antediluvian, though. They fucking sorted him out proper, son. Right. He got total teed, man. It's just That's just how it went. No, absolutely. Um, but, you know, e- even when we talk about, you know, just money, like money is not just the only thing. It's a also, you know, you're you're the sabbat, you're the black hand, right? Weapons are a necessity. Resources are a necessity. Transportation is a necessity. And all of these things play into not just like the term influence in the generic sense, the five dot background, but how you're maybe you're an archbishop. And you want to shuttle in Sabbat members from another city, or you're shuttling out Sabbat members from another city. Right. You're going to have to get your hands into the pot and start having some influence in areas of, 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 of purpose. And if you're not, it's a really good idea to have someone near you that can. Right. And that's the important thing. Where it says how the Sabbat are greatly limited, it talks about how some Sabbat get it. Yeah. And those people who do get it, they can't do it the same way. Right. My favorite is the when they highlight the street, just to cut to the quick. And actually, to explain, this book is not built like the other books we've reviewed. No. It is not like every chapter's history and then kindred perspective and nope. whatever. It literally goes, you want to learn about how to do business and influence? Well, that's chapter one. Chapter two is social endeavors right, right. and climbing and so on and so forth. So it's straight up, this is all crunch in right. a way. Crunch without mechanic, though. That's what I need to highlight. What we refer to as the term crunch is that there's a systemic ability to gain something every time by the way the book highlights. Right. This gives you the idea of how that system should run. Right. This this gives you the understanding, the deep understanding of what those rules mean. Because right. those rules are already in the core book, right? It, we already know how backgrounds work from a very, uh, 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 like a very specific concept. 
you know, I've got backgrounds of, uh, I've, I've got a retainer, I've got uh, resources, I've got an influence and I've got them all at one. So that's all I need. But really, is it like there's so much more to that? It's just a dot on a sheet. You know, it's like if you took the same representative and you said, I have a drive of three, that means I can drive really well. Okay, sure. Yes, it does. It means you can drive awesomely. But also tells you what vehicles you can drive. Right, right. What are those maneuvers? How did you learn how to drive that car? How do you get better at driving? What are the tasks that you need to, to undertake to learn how to drive a stick shift or know the difference between a, uh, a, a six-cylinder and an eight-cylinder engine? It's the difference between being Mario Andretti mm-hmm. and Tony Gattabuca. Right. Driving trucks for a living. Right. And it, but it also lets you talk to it. You know, it talk, talk about what that skill means, you know, using the same concept with drive. You know, if you have a drive of one as a human being not playing a game, you may not know the difference between brakes that work well and brakes that work poorly. You know, you might be that cat that goes, oh, there's like a weird grinding noise and I don't, I'm not really sure what it is. But with a drive of three, you know what kind of brakes are on that car, you know how much life is left in those brakes, you know by sound, by pull, you know, that's the degree of expertise. And this is doing that same thing for all of these different avenues where you can exert influence and gain in a modern society. And an important flip for it, it also does it based on concept. Right. Conceptually, right? We're talking if I'm a street thug, how do I get into the higher echelons of big business? Right. Well, it tells you flat out, you probably don't. Right. But there are ways to make that big business money doing other things in different avenues. This was probably more to your cup of tea. Right. Absolutely. And you get those examples listed. I always thought like when I when I uh, get into a concept like that, I, I, I always go back to The Sopranos. And when I don't remember what season it was, but one of the seasons of The Sopranos, they got the idea to to like teach the um, what's his name? Michael, I think his name was the the younger, uh, the nephew of of um, Soprano to get him his license so that he can do trading on Wall Street. And they like right. they're like trading like shitty junk bonds <laughs> and like and they're so they're making money. And this is a street guy. You don't know fucking anything about it. But. He was like, ah, I got to go get my license so I can be there and be the authority. Well, that's how a street guy gets into business, right? It's it's still a criminal act. It's still like it's white collar crime, but done by a blue collar guy. Right. You know, right. Maybe maybe I there's an owner of a business who would really like airbags at a cheap discount. You know, I mean, stuff like that, stuff that you might not necessarily think of because you, you know, it, you just haven't thought outside the box or you haven't explored it or there's just been no opportunity as a, a a player or a storyteller to explore the quote unquote political side of what this game is. And this book writes from a perspective where the vampire flat out tells you in the beginning that this book is damning because it's literally the instructions of how the elders get their wealth, right? how they control or how they influence what they influence. And deep down though, as a neonate, and I love the section I go into is they talk about the street. A neonate's going to have nothing. They generally don't have a thing. Unless you're your typical Venture Tord or in Tremere, right? Those are the clans that normally definitely have a starter kit uh, for those who come into the clan. But ideally, you're Bruja, you're Nosferatu, you're, you're the rest of everybody else is going to have to earn that way. And this also works with the Sabbat as well. And I talk about in dealing with the street how it's not just go out there and prove you're the biggest monster on the block. And that people live in fear of you, and now they know that they're in fear of you, that they're going to suddenly offer you up money. Right. It's not how it works. 
if you go and beat the biggest badass in the block and you kill him, you're the new psychopath in town. <laughs> right. You're the new predator. Nobody's going to fuck with you. Definitely not going to snitch on you, but they're not going to help you either. Right. You're someone to avoid and run from. So what's a person to do? And what it tells you is, is that it's okay that you go pull that guy to the side and beat him, but you want him to work for you. Right. Absolutely. That's how it works. He, the neighborhood already knows to fear him. Right. Now they know definitely not to fuck with the guy that beat him. Right. But he's going to go around and start collecting money for whatever reason. And let's say, for instance, this protection money he's going around for, he's not going to the local businesses. He's going to the criminals that work. You're right. Absolutely. Right. And those criminals will be like, well, who the fuck are you? And they may give guff, but they're not going to hurt him because normally this dude doesn't do this. Right. You know what I mean? He, he's a known badass. They're going to want to talk to you. And that's what you want to foster, that inroad. You don't know where those guys are, but the guy in the neighborhood does. Right. And when he brings them to you, then you work your magic on them, so on and so forth. And flat out, your average neonate, by power of the blood alone, by being a vampire, has more than enough it takes to beat the fuck out of no matter what mortal thinks. They're how hard-ass they are. Right. It's just a given. In fact, that's like the subject of a lot of vampire movies, you know? Like, ah, I'm a new vampire, and I'm going to go back and whoop that bully's ass. Yeah, you can definitely do that. But this is going to give all of us kind of a roadmap. And, And I think it's important that we emphasize that you to to do this stuff in a modern setting you cannot overtly control shit right, right? because let's th- let's say you the person listening you went and c- committed a criminal act what would the outcome be eventually you're going to get caught you're going to go to jail when you're a vampire you have a masquerade to follow you can't do that you can't put yourself in that position where you are in the limelight let's talk about the misconception though mm-hmm. Everyone believes that breaking the masquerade is flashing your fangs, lifting a car, and throwing it at a camera. No, it's any act a vampire does that draws attention to the vampire. Right. That's any. I could go and extort 12 businesses, and I'm the only person to do it. They know to pay me every time I walk in the door. Right. One of those businesses snitches, and the cops are not looking for me. Prince finds out, sheriff come calling. Right. That's how it works. That is a violation of the masquerade. You've brought attention to yourself. You need to disappear so they never find you, so they don't know they're dealing with a vampire. Right. That's how that works. If you if you were to say end up getting arrested and end up in a police lineup or end up, you know, uh well, we got to you got to spend 24 hours in jail. What is that? If you, you get subpoenaed, you know what I mean? Right. Like these are all things that that need to be worked out and they need to be thought out before you end up in that situation. And that's why, you know, when we talk about like the conspiracy you you don't directly control. You don't directly do these things because to do them directly yourself leaves you open to destruction. Because before you ever even have a rival, before you ever even have someone that you're plotting against or you're working against that's in the vampiric community that you're also in, you you need to be able to get over the basic humps. Right. <laughs> you need to be able to accomplish successful transition from being embraced to being left about your own business as a neonate. I mean, it's it's also like talking about the the relationships in your backgrounds as well, yeah. right? And it explains a lot of it. Like to have allies, these are people who do stuff for you because they get a benefit from you. Right. And that means that you can use them. And really that allies gauge is just how influential those allies are. But you have to critically define them. What's critically right. defined means? Flowery words, Bob. It means you got to critically define them. Right. Hi, this is the ceo's administrative assistant susan hammersby and susan controls where he gets his meals his Uh business itinerary 
who he talks to and who he doesn't that day. And he absolutely trusts her because she's been there for 10 years. Right. And so, and so in, in telling that tale, what is the one key question you should always be asking every time you add something? And I won't like wait for you to answer. It's why. Right. Right. Every single thing. So I have this retainer and this retainer takes care of me. Why? Yep. Well, I have these allies and these allies do this, that, and the other for me. Why? And then I think it's also imperative, and, and this book, I feel like it helps you to ask these questions yourself, but you should be asking, like, okay, now I have a, a very basic concept of why my allies help me. Does that make sense? Would that work in the real world, right? Go, do, you know, literally ask yourself, does that make sense? That's just when you're making the character. Right. And then, then there's the other aspect that, okay, that's, we're just talking about allies. Undoubtedly, you're going to get contacts. Mm-hmm. Do contacts work the same way? Absolutely fucking not. Contacts are, hi, I know Bob at Blockbuster, mm-hmm. and he controls whether or not I get late fees. Um, He doesn't know you shit. Right. He knows of you, and he knows from talking to you that you're into some interesting stuff. You may be able to get him some things. Right. But ultimately, doesn't know what... He would never call you. Right. He knows, he knows not why to call you, but he knows that you will occasionally call him, because whenever you ask him for something, you give him something. Right. I, think of it like, and this is this might seem a little duh to some people, but think of like The Wire, right? Think of like uh, Officer McNulty, and he's on an investigation, and he's like, man, I can't accomplish this on my own with the resources I have available to me, but I do have that contact in the FBI. Maybe that contact in the FBI can shed some light on the situation. Now, in this in this debate, that character is quote unquote, his friend, right. but he's still got to be able to get something out of it. So he goes to that contact and he well, says, what you're saying is just cause you're an ally. Right. Doesn't mean you can't sweeten the pot. Right. Absolutely. And if, if you're just a, Hey, can you give me some information about what the feds are doing? Yeah, I can, but you know, what's in it for me? What can I take back to my, my shift leader? Oh, well, you know, this, that, and the other, here's a little piece of information. That's a contact, right? right? They're not obligated to give you anything. And in that argument, like that individual character is an ally, but it's also a contact. It's an ally like, hey, man, I need somebody to watch the kids for me. And of course, he's going to be like, no problem. I got you. You know, we go way back. But you want inside information? What you got in trade? I.e., it puts my career at risk. Right. I'm willing to do that because you're an ally. Right. But this dude's a contact of mine. Right. He's going to need something. Right. I don't have anything to give him. Right. So what do you got? Right. And then we could do business. And that's that's a perfect example of a complex extended relationship that should be commonplace. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you're going to take them contacts and them allies and mix them up, it is never clear and free of anything. Bob, here's the thing though. I'm player A. And this sounds like a hell of a lot of work for just a game. What do I get out of this? Is there there like an easy way to do this? Is there like, you know, it sounds like I got to basically write a novel here. Here's the thing. Just writing down someone's name as an ally and a simple, why are they your ally? Or even putting, defining the relationship as a friend from college. Right. Give the storyteller something to understand how to role play this relationship. If it's a contact, you don't need anything other than it's Bob Durkham works at Blockbuster because mm-hmm. I like running movies. Right. You know, and why is he a contact? He sees a lot of people in your neighborhood. Right. That could be everything. He serves as a neighborhood watch. Hey, you see me creepy come by lately? Um, any gossip you got for me? Cause I'm looking for a blah. Right. And a storyteller could get a, it's a loose foothold, but if he wanted to, he could develop something very humorous right. from then and go through it. And that's what we're talking about. Is it complex? Yes, but this is not a board game. No, absolutely. That's what I got to define to you. There's a reason they have libraries 
about vampires because if you're good at this and you enjoy this, it's because you read and understand and digest, but you also apply. Right. And in applying, they identify pitfalls. And those pitfalls, pay attention to them and define whether you're in them or not. Right. But I got to tell you, if you're reading the books, you're going along and you're doing, you're not falling in any pitfalls, you're following the instructions. <laughs> right, that, right. That's what's going on. Right. So yeah, is it difficult? Of course it is. Yeah. But you name anything worthwhile that isn't difficult. Right, right. And, and, and that's the decision that, you know, you should make as a player or as a storyteller. If you're going, man, this is just too difficult. There's just too much stuff to keep track of because it's not like an ironed out defined concept. Like maybe it's not the right hobby, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe play like the Requiem board game or something like that's probably, you know, it requires less work. You can get it done in a couple hours, but you know, with this, you are, you're, you're telling stories and your players should be experiencing those stories and participating in them and helping to grow the story with you. So at the end of, of that game, at the end of, of what, however long it ends up being for you, you can look back and go, man, that was fantastic. That was like, that was like John Wick, and it was like Interview with a Vampire, and right. it was like, you know, it was all these tales put together and a little Pulp Fiction in there because your world should be rich. And bottom line, you haven't played this game if you haven't been killed by your own ally. <laughs> I, I have that as a testament. I've been killed by my own ally, and it was fantastic. You know what I mean? And it was uh, granted, it was a werewolf game, still a storytelling system, right? But the fact that it happened, it came from my backgrounds and my poor management. Of my own ally. Yeah, right, 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 absolutely. They got pissed and they got at me. And the cool thing about that is, is that if you've never experienced that part of your character, this is this book tells you why you're missing out. Yeah. And honestly, if if I'm honest here, I really feel the vast majority of people feel they're playing a video game. I fill out a character sheet, I give it to the storyteller, I give him some some movie influence my background. It, it took me ten minutes to write up the background. Here it is. Now let me go kill people with celerity and potence. Right. And it's like, that's great. You want to do it. And God bless the storyteller yeah. trying to make that work. But at the end of the day, storytellers half-assing it because they know you're going to die eventually. Right. And soon, instead of someone who builds a base character, does spreads the points, has growth potential, and has them backgrounds flushed out with that sing with the concept. Because if you do the backgrounds and, and flush them in and put the work in, and you have the character built, which concept, what you give the storyteller is a person already defined in the world they're trying to run. Right. And when you do that, you're helping them. Right. That's your 50% to the 100% of storytelling. Right. And once that's done, now we got tons of plot we can run and funnel through because you, we know exactly where you're coming from and what is great to run with you and not so good to run with you. Right. This is, to me, this book, Gilded Cage, is very much the instruction manual for, I think, what the developers already assumed most people were interested in the game for, but maybe couldn't figure out how to develop that skill themselves. Oh, yeah. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, with it being a storytelling game, it's, it's super imperative that you have a world that is flushed out, that is three dimensional, that it, yeah, you are telling a story that your players can go, I can go anywhere and do anything because my storyteller is telling a, a well-developed story. A lot of us, we can't just jump in and be fucking Stephen King, right? Right. We need an instruction manual, and the Gilded Cage helps you both as a player and as a storyteller to accomplish that. And for that purpose, and you know, we talked last week, you know, the book that we did last week, we talked about kind of a 
selection of books that kind of give you an edge on how to play this game properly. This is one of those books that is super imperative if you have not read it and you plan to delve in any way beneath the surface of just superficiality when it comes to a vampire game. There is a whole world here that this book will help you to understand and help to better develop for your game or for your character. These series of books, the last one, which was Midnight Siege, and this one, and we have a third one coming up, um, they're basically Vampire University. It's the college degree of right. how to be an in-depth player and an in-depth storyteller. That's, that's really my comment on it. Yeah. And that's, that's something that's so important, so relevant, that honestly, if you even if you think you know, I've been doing this for years. Oh, man, I got burnt out and stopped because, oh, I just got so much. Right. And then turn around, and it's like, yeah, cool, but did you know this is what you should have been doing? And a lot of people are going to do this. Oh, fuck me. I played that long. No wonder I was getting bored. Right. I wasn't using everything. Right. Absolutely. I, I feel like uh, Midnight Siege, uh, the Gilded Cage, Council of Primogen, Archons and Templars, and the Black Handbook, those are probably the most important books in Revised. They're the most important books for you as a player or storyteller to purchase to really understand the subtleties and the intricacies of this game. So like this, this game is like you, this is a must buy, <laughs> like right. go out and get it. If you, even if you don't play, if you don't play tabletop, if you only LARP, get this book. If you only play tabletop, get this book. Like this is one of those books where it's super important for you to have it no matter what version of this game that you're playing. No it matter could, what level. Right. It could even it could even help you for non-classic World of Darkness games just adapt those concepts to Requiem, you know. It's 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 all about <laughs> the the one thing that I want to I want to address before we we close out this podcast and go Doug go buy this book. I would the one thing that I find cute about books that came out in 2000 2001 is how they address the internet. Like it, the, like those are the one things that really date these books because like the internet was not what it is now in 2001. There wasn't, there wasn't social media. It was like, it was a, a shell of what it is now. Now it's huge. It's everywhere. Then it was like an emerging technology, right? The internet had only really started to gain popularity in like the mid to late nineties. And like some people use message boards and they talk about AOL and like how important AOL is. And it's just that shit cracks me up. So that's not going to be super imperative, but everything else is essentially the same. And they talk general about the internet in there too. So right. it's enough to where it's timeless, but at the same time, I know we can remember right. when you had to fight to get people to look online for information that was easier than bringing a packet of paper right. uh, to, a, to a LARP session or even to your buddy's tabletop game. Yeah. I mean, this was all when like the dot-com startup boom was hitting. So um, for some of the younger members of the audience, you may not know what the fuck we're talking about. I think Zuckerberg just got his pubes. Uh, yeah. I would probably, I would just Google what we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> see what I do there? Anyways. Um, yeah. So uh, this book... I feel like it's an A plus uh, because it's it's a book that needs to exist and it's a book that needs to be read unless you're like, fuck it, I don't care. And then, of course, you know, do what you want. But why listen to our reviews? <laughs> 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 I mean, am I right or am I wrong? You know? That is right. That is correct. So, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're not going to go into the same like level of detail we might go into on like a clan book because literally it's a book that you need to read to understand to get. Um, but yeah, I think it's a great we book. We did due diligence. We said it's worth you doing it. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a must buy. You should definitely have it in your collection. And I named like five books already that you should for sure have in your collection. You should still listen to our reviews, though. Next week, we will be doing the review for Sins of the Blood. Fantastic book. So quick question that was asked of me by one of our our Patreon backers. He said, hey, when are is there and when are you doing a San Francisco by night review? And I was I said, you know what? That's a really good question. When are we doing that? And, you know, when is that going to fall into the line of books that we review? And I looked it up on the Internet. And, um, it, it, like we did, uh, Hong Kong by night and Hong Kong by night is actually a werewolf book or a, not a werewolf, actually a vampire book. San Francisco by night is actually a Kwai Jin book. It's actually a kindred of the East book. So it's going to be a while before we get to San Francisco. And it seems to me they misfiled those two. I, I, I would agree. Um, however, San Francisco, to give a little bit of a spoiler, when that book came out, it's not a super great situation for the right, for the actual right. Western vampires that are, are existing at that time. But neither was Hong Kong. True. Very true. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I agree with you, but it is not part of the normal line. So I thought, you know, maybe down the road, you know, a month or two from now, we might do it as a special aside because um, I do feel like it's a very important vampire book, even though it's not a quote-unquote vampire book it's a lot of so, terminology folks ain't gonna know but i see it yeah yeah I, and and i that's why i say i think we should do it like as a special sort of uh maybe a patreon specific podcast right and one of those that once we get to question we'll release it to the general public but you know maybe we'll do it you know for our ten dollar and above backers and you know fair enough yeah just just so so people can complete their vampire you know, Triangle. right, right. Get all the city books in one place. Um, so yeah, next week we are looking at Sins of the Blood and then New York by Night. So some important books coming up. Actually, I, I don't think there is one. Maybe I would say Cairo by Night is one to where I'm kind of like, eh, but it'll be worth reviewing. Um, it's a modern city book. And I think those are super, super important. So yeah. Outside of that, I think we're about done. So we will talk to you folks next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. I am Nathan. And I'm Bob. Hey, folks, this is Nathan from 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you'd like to help support our podcast, there's a few ways you can go about doing so. First, you can get some cool rewards by supporting us at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade. Check out our website at utilitymuffinlabs.com. We now have a shop where you can get your very own Utility Muffin Lab sticker or pick up a cool shirt from our Tee Public shop. That's tpublic.com slash utilitymuffinlabs. If you want to send us comments or you are a content creator who'd like to be on one of our podcasts, send us an email to nathan at utilitymuffinlabs.com. Finally, you can send me actual physical letters to P.O. Box 30332, Indianapolis, Indiana, 46230. We will be at Gen Con this August as well, so keep listening for more details as they become available. Thank you for supporting Utility Muffin Labs. We are consistently rated adequate. Adequate.